Hello and welcome to a fantastic interview where we get a glimpse into the personal brand and fundamental strategies of a self-made millionaire by the age of 23. On this show, you'll join me, your host, Morgan Frechette, an entrepreneur, investor, and former pro martial arts coach, where I interview those who win at life and business. Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur, internationally acclaimed speaker and investor, as well as the founder of an eight-figure empire. Please welcome executive business coach, Katie Kay. Thank you so much for being here today. I am Hello. so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I think on a lot of business owners' minds, when they are first starting out, they are always looking at it from a single standalone business idea. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you have is your background of scaling companies. Has that always been your vision for business? Or um, did it just evolve that way through your background? No, I think that, so for me, when I got into the first industry I was in, you know, I, first of all, I started when I was 19 years old. So did I know that at 19, I was going to build 12 global companies, sell them and have two of the largest wholesale companies? No. Um, but what I started to learn was number one, business fundamentals are are used in every single type of business. So I'm going to explain it my first company and then I'll explain it kind of what I do now as far as entrepreneurism. Um, but when I started out and I started kind of building this business, I, I started with a farmer's booth market, like stand, literally a table, tablecloth. Um, and I was in the vape and the CBD industry. So I was, you know, just saw a need for a product. And what I will say did my brain have that skill then? It had the skill of knowing that this was something that was new, it's something I could sell, it's something I could make cash to replace the serving bartending job I had, right? So, you know, that was kind of step one. Um, and, and seeing the need and seeing the opportunity, I say that was probably always kind of in me, just not to the scale that it is now, right? We all start somewhere. Mm. I was really trying to open up my first store, which I had done. Um, and then I started to open up my second store and just kind of kept going and I was very kind of reserving my cash and just made sure I kind of had my whole little system um, in each of those locations. But with the scaling, you know, there is a lot of lessons that happened in there. My third store was a complete fail. I was starting to go too, too fast, too, mm -hmm. soon. Too, too, um, too soon. And at this point I'm like 20 years old. So let's also remember I don't have this big entrepreneurial brain that I have now. Um, sure. And so I had to pivot really quickly and pivot is a huge part of my story and my success and when anything's going wrong or going well, pivot quick, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing lasts forever, everything that goes up eventually comes down. Keep evolving, yeah. Yeah, so you have to, you have to really kind of think when you're looking at entrepreneurism or you're looking at your businesses, you know, I think a lot of people are trying to create like the Elon Musk of the world, they're trying to create Tesla, they're trying to create a SpaceX or they have this amazing software that's gonna change some sort of revelation or thing. And for me, you know, there is millions of dollars to be made in just little industries mm. that we use every single day, right? So after I had exited those companies, I got into commercial construction and I, same thing, started with just one. And I wanted to do commercial as a business because I knew that's where the money was. And I knew if I just stayed in one industry and really built those relationships up, I could start acquiring more companies and build that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of had started to realize it will in the vaping industry once I created the own, my own products, and then I bought my competition. I became the biggest wholesaler. To this day, I still get paid on that. So um, in my exit, I made sure I still own the rights to that. Um, but as I scaled into different companies, I think that's where I really, really owned the fact of what I was doing in one industry was replicated in 
any sort of industry I want to go into. So now when I look at opportunities, I just, I know I can scale it. I know I can build it. Mm -hmm. I know I can acquire them properly, no matter the industry. I might have to bring an expert in. I mean, I don't know everything about everything, but the business fundamentals is how I look at it now. So it sounds like fundamentals, ecosystem, hand in hand, replicate in order to go from yeah. location one to location two and beyond. Yeah, in any business. It sounds like I'm hearing that from a young age. You saw opportunity and you just replicated. Is that yeah, right? I was around entrepreneurism as a child, mm -hmm. um, but that's the one reason I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. So um, my family all own businesses. You know, they're all very, very successful. Mm -hmm. um, in their own ways and, and different industries. Like I would watch, you know, my family purchase all different types of businesses. Mm. Um, whether they were successful or not, you know, we're, we were immigrants, I, I live in Canada, we were born in the UK. Um, so I saw them trying, I saw them doing different things. But my dad being on a plane and gone 24 seven was a life I did not want to live. Mm. That's my brain going into 19. Well, here we are, it's literally the life I live. So it's kind of funny how it all turned around. Um, but when I was serving, like when I was 19, I was serving, I realized what I was doing was entrepreneurism with a job. So how well I do as a server depends on how much money I take home at the end of the night. Right. But there's a little paycheck in the background, sure. right? So there's a little bit of comfortability there. Um, right. And then once I just kept going into that entrepreneurial realm, um, that's when I really kind of grew because that's when I knew. Wow. So was there anything else in your childhood like I went to ask about a sport. Did you mm -hmm. play any sports growing up? I did. I played lots of sports growing okay. up. Yep. So did you feel hockey. like hockey? Yeah. Did you say I, hockey? I played competitive hockey, volleyball, soccer, baseball. Wow. Um, I played everything, like high school basketball, which I don't really count, but um, yeah, those are my my favorite sports and you know, that's where I had my coaches and my mentors and my discipline. Interesting. Um, and for me, like I really grew up with my coaches in my life, you know, it's not that I had a, a poor upbringing by any means. I don't want to spin that narrative, but the coaches in my life, the the not, not the guidance counselors, but mm -hmm. I would say the the people that were in those sports, sure. Whether it was you know just family members helping out, whatever that case may be, they really kind of shaped me. So it sounds like from a, a young age, you grew up with the concept of mentorship, mm -hmm. with coaching, with the entrepreneurial influence of your family of like you said, trying and pushing and not yeah. quitting. Do you feel like you were a coachable athlete as well? Yeah. When you see yeah. athletes and entrepreneurship, it just seems like there is so much correlation there. And discipline. I think mm -hmm. that that's where we learn a lot of discipline because yeah. um, like I said, I was in a busy household. It wasn't, it wasn't like I necessarily had strict discipline, but because of the sports I had it. Right. So if I wanted to play on those sports teams, I had to make sure my grades were good. Things like the simple thing right. of that. It's interesting just seeing the correlation between martial arts and your background of being an athlete at a young age. You have that coaching environment and that's what that's there for. Yeah. And that's, I believe, what it really takes to be successful at the level that you want to be for business. Yeah. The funny thing is I didn't have a business mentor until after my first exit. So, you know, wow. to think of how, like you just said, how much mentorship was a big part of my life right. um, and how I looked up to people in my life and really kind of depended on them. And then, you know, I always say this, you know, if I had my business coach when I built those businesses, I would have 110 locations, I'm sure. But, um, you know, I, I met them after um, and how much I've grown just having, you know, more coaches and more mentors specifically in business. Um, it's just, it's crazy, you know, mm -hmm. we, we do it for everything else, so why don't we do it with our businesses, right? Right. Is that something that you hear a lot of feedback from on your students, is that 
I wish I would have started coaching much sooner. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, we always say as the coaches, we, we kind of live our lives through students for sure because we can see moments that, you know, whether whether it's you or whether it's a different client, you know, there's definitely a time where I've, I've said to you before, I've been like, I remember going through this or I remember having this moment. And it doesn't mean we don't have it again because that's business. Right. These, these problems keep coming up. It's just we know how to handle it and we have the right people to call when we need to handle them. Um, but yeah, I mean, every single person I've ever worked with or that I've been coached by, we all say the same thing, you know, if we just had you sooner. Mm -hmm. But I think we just have to keep acquiring, you know, those relationships and those, that guidance because, right. I mean, wisdom, you can't put a price on it. Um, and it's more, it's not, it's not always about, you know, how are we going to go make more money, although that is 90% of coaching. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I don't want to make the mistakes. So right. I want to know, now I'm at the level where I call and I say, okay, I'm about to do this, yes or no. Sure. Right? So, you know, it, even if they just don't make a mistake and you save me money, that's huge. Right. Because right. you're playing in a different arena at that point. But It could even be a completely different industry that you might not have ever seen. It's, yeah. It sure seems like it. And I've already seen that with you in, in my business because we had to pivot on the same day. Yeah. I remember we were working on one business concept and I saw an opportunity. You know, even just working with you specifically watching you pivot, it, it doesn't matter. You're going to do those pivots probably 10 more times. And I think we talked about that. We mm -hmm. said, you know, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've pivoted, but every time you pivot, it, it's, it's usually just a, like you said, confidence or validation or am I on the right track? And to have that and to know someone's kind of supporting you through that, mm -hmm. it's, always, it's always beneficial to the entrepreneur. Because entrepreneurs, like, it, there is no roadmap. We're not doctors. We're not lawyers. You know, we don't have some book to go read. We, it's literally Russian roulette. Well, so we have to put the Russian roulette with a strategic plan mm -hmm. and then keep up with our consistent wins. That goes hand in hand with something that I've actually been working on this week is recognizing the opportunity as an artistic viewpoint. And I think growing up with martial arts, the word art actually aligns with martial arts. That's yeah. the verbiage of that work. And I, I'm always over here like, oh, I'm too tough for art. I'm not an artist. That's not me. Yeah. However, art doesn't necessarily mean that soft, creative stereotype that we see with art. Art is actually an expressive mind creation of something that you just implement. And right. that's martial arts. That's business. It's yeah. the same thing. So when you're talking about pivoting, it's the nature of being an artist. We have to actually be artists within business. Yeah. So many people are scared to pivot. Right, so it, if you take that back to martial arts, I'm sure there's things that you do in martial arts where it's, I don't know the moves, I don't know what these things are, but I am sure there's moments where people are like, I am scared to do this in martial arts, right? And so it's it's the coach or who, however that works, that person sure. kind of enforcing them and helping them and guiding them and saying, okay, you know, time to pivot, time to push, really is what it is. So how does that work when it comes to multiple locations of a company? Do you literally take that pivot nature and apply it to each location? Um, is it case by case? How does that work? Well, store three would be a good example in the first businesses I built because you have to remember back then, like I'm only on store three and I'm rolling the cash and I'm keeping everything very conservative. So my runway mm -hmm. is like four months. So if I don't fix this bleeding problem in six months, I don't have anything. So within less than 15 days, I was down there. I had the store rented out, like subletted the lease, mm -hmm. um, took all of the fixtures and the product and everything, found a new location, moved it. Um, 
so yeah, within within the month, we were completely out of there, and it, it didn't bleed me dry. But that is, you know, you got to have that instant reacting, and you got to pivot. I can't just go to any other location and just throw my product in there. I'm going to have the same problem in 30 days, right? I had to make sure the research was right and um, move the location. Number three specifically. Yeah, number three. Well, yeah, because number three was mm -hmm. like we replaced number three, but number three, number one, <laughs> the first round of number three. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you know the funny thing is. The whole mistake was I was very good at like finding the location, making sure there's no competition in my area. But because of the industry I was in, you couldn't really advertise CBD or you couldn't at the time. I think you can a little bit more now. But so it was very hard to find these stores actually online. Mm -hmm. And so I always had this rule of I had to drive the block to make sure that there wasn't a store on this block before I leased the unit. So I remember I was, it's super late at night. I was like, I don't even, you know, I don't think there's anything this way. I've like checked, I've checked, I've checked. And I remember it clear as day. It was in my Ford Focus, white Ford Focus. And I turned left and I was like, I'm just going to go home. Mm -hmm. And I went home and the largest competitor in the GTA was two doors down on that side. Yeah. No. So they were going to sewer me all day. Oh, like no. there was no, no point in fighting. Um, so it was just get out. So you Move left and shop out. and... Little yeah, it was within the full 30 days. I mean, yeah. I think we were in the new location in three weeks. We only bled for one month, which was very good. Mm -hmm. And so like third store was, you know, I'm nobody really at that point. I have two stores that are two hours away from them that they would never know about. Wow. It was really my wholesale companies that kind of blew everything up. And we took that to Europe because we had two locations in England. And then we built out the wholesale company in England. So, I mean, that's when we started dialing for dollars. I would just call all day long. And I remember my first seven-figure sale. We went to uh, Alberta, and I basically would set up these sales calls, and I would go out there, and I would set up the calls and set up the calls. By yourself, or did you um, have others helping you? No, actually, at the time, my sister came with me. And um, so we just went out there, rented a car, just like middle of Alberta. Like Were VAs even a common subject no, at oh, that no, point? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. Just curious. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure I ha like, I'm successful at this point, but I yeah, no. Like sure. Katie does everything herself. Oh. We haven't we haven't learned that lesson yet. We're we are a one <laughs> one man bam with some employees that run the stores. Sure. <laughs> we learned that lesson down the road. Takes a um, while. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm dialing for dollars, dialing for dollars, because I'm realizing, you know, just own the market, own the industry. And so if I can't open stores fast enough, because at that rate I'm opening a store a month. And I could have a store open in like forty eight hours. I was so good at it. So we had to get to this point of how do we now go faster and the only way to go faster with still having profit in the industry is to start buying your competition and uh yeah we went out there and we had all these meetings booked and we were just selling product and we were at the very last one and i go inside start talking to the guy and he goes yeah no i really want to um i want your package and i think i can't remember the numbers but i think our biggest pa package was maybe around 50,000. It meant like they wanted all our flavors and all the strengths and all the product. And we had over a hundred wow. flavors. Like it was just insane. He wanted the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, great, cool. We're selling the big package today. He goes, no, but I, I don't think you know how many stores I had. I was just going to ask. He yep. ended up being this mass retailer and it was the owner. Like the yep. odds that I was in there talking to this guy, I don't even know. And I just walked out and I was like, I just made how much money? I got home. I got on the plane, literally we left out that night, and I said, okay. Because the fuel industry or the gas station industry, whatever the proper term is for that, 
Yeah. That is their brand. That is their business model is it's not one store. You own multiple. Well, this was um, correct. This was a head shop, though, that we had walked into. A what shop? It was like a head shop, so like a smoke shop. So we had walked into there. And um, yeah, I thought was we were just, still in the gas stations. Okay. Yeah, so no, it was it was all different sorts of stores. Like so you're gas targeting stations, the everything. gas stations. You're I would go to like someone selling, I mean, anything, any sort of store, and I would say I can make you 10,000 profit a month. You just need to put this sign up. And it would work. And I knew it would work because I had the formula. So, of course, they're not going to say no to that. I mean, you'd have little clothing shops in the middle of a mall, dead mall that would start selling them and be profitable that were about to go under. I don't think so. I realized the extent of the story. Yeah. I, I've it, heard it, your story many times, but I don't think I I've heard you go into depth like the that. The depth of it? Yeah. Wow. It's cool. So how many, would you say, locations have you implemented this product in before you're oh, just selling in? Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds. We're the largest in North America. Are you still doing this? I still have. Or did you sell all of that? I sold that all off. That's what I got headhunted for first. And that really does come down to, don't let anyone ever tell you, dialing for dollars. Mm -hmm. I would sit there with a the phone all day long and dial and dial and dial and dial and dial and dial. And I'd send samples and send samples and send samples and then follow up and follow up and follow that up. That is just such an example of why there is no excuse to not be successful. Your work ethic gets you to seven figures. Yeah. So with the concept of pivoting inside of that one business, what does it mean to see a need like you did in those businesses and solve a problem in an industry? So, you know, I think that I, I did a speech on this recently, actually, and you know, I always say you have to be able to pivot and you have to be able to see needs in markets. For example, um, during the pandemic, I actually ended up selling PPE to the US government. Um, my company won, won an award at Congress. And what do I know about medical masks and nitrile gloves? And I don't know anything about those. I know that there's relationships that I have. I know that there is a need and I know that there is a serious gouging problem and people are trying to profit off of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, the things that mean the most to me are my integrity, who I am and my core. So the second I see the need, second I see the opportunity, the entrepreneur that I am while I'm building those relationships and putting those deals together kind of creates the opportunity for me. So I do say that mm -hmm. like your DNA as an entrepreneur needs to be very strong. Who you are as a human being needs to be very strong. Mm -hmm. um, we actually kind of made like a blacklist of PPE for you know people we knew were doing things they shouldn't have been doing and we kept submitting that and just kind of doing our help where we could because people were in need of these um, supplies. Um, so once again, you know, I don't know anything. I'm locked down in the pandemic just like everyone else. I know sure. that this is an issue. Do I think I'm gonna be one of the people supplying? Mm -hmm. um, I don't even live in the United States, right? I live in Canada. How that, how that all came about to be um, it, it was just having my blinders off. And, and when I did that speech, I always said, you know, you need to always make sure you have your cash cow, always need to make sure you have your cash flow. If you are just starting out in entrepreneurism, that means having your job. And then while having your job, you have the thing on the side that's creating the, you know, the kind of lottery income, the, the thing that's going to keep growing. Right. Sure. Um, in my case, that's making sure all my businesses are functioning. Of course, when that pandemic hit, it was, let's make sure we're good. We were lucky, we were essential, we stayed open. Mm. Um, 
and there was just a few tweaks we needed to make and adjustments we needed to make. So now I have a lot of time in my day. My days look a little different. Mm -hmm. And so my blinders are off. Mm -hmm. um, but at the time I was doing a lot of speaking and, and doing a lot of events and things like that. And that all obviously got shut down. So right. um, in this speech, like the message I was trying to convey was while staying on track and making sure you have tunnel vision focus on, on your cash flow and making sure that like, that is consistent you also need to have your blinders off. And a lot of people don't look at the simple problem. And if they just fix one simple problem in an industry, mm -hmm. how you can make millions just doing that. Um, wow. And it, it, you know, it brings me back to thinking about you and, and what we, you, we've been working on and you really did find a need. You look at real estate investors, what is their need? They're, they need their time back, right? So sure. to be, um, and same with, like for myself who buys businesses, I can't go and hunt and find those deals. But if I have someone I can rely on that I know is gonna bring me a great deal, I'm instantly, like that is something I wanna sign up for because you know, you can go to wholesalers, you can go to, you know, it's different in every industry and in the, in the business world is even harder actually because just the way the, the brokers and things work. But if I know mm. I can rely on someone's company to bring me a solid lead that's a business I want to purchase or a real estate deal I want to purchase, mm -hmm. that's solving a need instead of Morgan being doing all the things in real estate and all the things in business, right? Mm -hmm. You just stay very tunnel focused. So, right. you know, I commend you and respect you for doing that because that's the way you should be thinking. Um, and entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs need to stay tunnel focused. And I know that while you're doing this and you're building this company and, and you're, you're getting the leads that you're getting, which is a success you're already having, I know that your blinders are off. Because I know you could call me tomorrow and be like, this came across my desk and, and that's what I want to see because that's mm -hmm. a true serial entrepreneur. That means wow. you're ready for the deals. And I think many others relate to you in the same way that I approached you for coaching. You do have a very relatable presence about your coaching, your public speaking and so on, which you've done internationally. And I'm sure that ties into your personal values yeah. into your corporate values or your company values. So what does goodwill mean for you and your yeah. personal standards? I mean, I think I touched on it earlier, but you know, who I am as a human being has to be who I am as the entrepreneur, mm. first and foremost. I think that you know, there's a time where when we go on stage, we have to turn on. There's a time when we do this podcast and I have to turn on, right? right. There, there is a time to be professional, but my DNA needs to still come through because if not, when I'm running these businesses and I'm building the cultures within my companies, you know, it, there's always going to be a disconnect. There's always going to be a riffraff between employees. So, you know, for me, it's integrity, it's loyalty, it's it's building a, a culture that you know we are a family. Um, every single one of my employees, they get the yearly check-in with me personally. Now, some could say, why are you doing that at that level? Mm. Um, but they get their yearly check-in with me because I want to know what they want to accomplish in life. So wow. very similar to when I sit down on your very first coaching session, I say, just tell me what you want and I will create it. But you got to tell me honestly what you want. And usually mm -hmm. it's not a five minute answer. And with my employees, you know, what they could want could change down the road. But sure. in order to maintain culture and to maintain happy employees and, and I deal in construction, I mean, you know, guys can come and go left, right and center. So, you know, I'm going to have those people that come in they just want their paycheck. Great, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Don't judge you for it. Don't don't think that what you're doing is wrong or right. I need you. 
you have value in this company. These are our values. This is what we stand for. Um, And then I have the people that come along that say, hey, like I went to school to become an electrician, but I would love like, you know, that that's all I had at the time. And I really scraped to become this electrician and now I'm this electrician, but I would love to flip a home one day. Mm. I can make that happen for them, but I need to know that. And so where I think where I think organizations don't spend time with employees. I also think coaches don't spend time with clients. You also know with me, I have a very coach to partner mentality, right? If there's something we can do together, I'll want to do it because I want the long-term relationship. So it's the same with my employees in the sense of, I don't want my fantastic electrician to leave. Mm -hmm. And I've trained him and I've got him thinking our way and having our culture and having our methodology and then he just wants to go because, well, he wants to be also purchasing an Airbnb with his wife or they want a vacation, whatever it is. Um, I want to be able to sit down and, and have those conversations with people because um, I don't, a lot of my locations, by the way, actually, um, we sold a couple to my employees. I remember that. Yeah. Wow. So I sat everyone down and if that was an option that they wanted, I figured out for them how they were going to get the money they needed. Mm-hmm. And then the remaining, I reverse financed them. Amazing. Because to me, you know, I got to seven figures 100% on my own. I got to eight figures with my teams. How did you know at a young age without a mentor in your corner, how did you know to sit down with your employees and offer them such an offer like this? I think I was honestly a loser. I think nobody listened to me. Uh honestly, was bullied like crazy, had no one in my life, Mm -hmm. and I I project what I wanted. Are you happy with the results at this point? Do you look back and say, I'm so glad I did it that way? So glad I did it that way. I'm so glad that pain as a child turned into a very humble, loving, wanting the best for people, human being. That is my imprint in business. and the opportunity you created for your owners. Yeah, and I do it to this day. I mean, I mean, every single business I have, if my employees want it, they can have it. And I will figure out how they're gonna own it. I'm gonna figure out how they're gonna get finance for it. I'm gonna, if it's even possible. Wow. Um, of course, some of those companies is not possible, but can they have a piece of ownership? Can they be, you know, when someone comes to purchase a company, they usually want the owner to stay. Well, they're not gonna get me to stay, but could I leave them behind with a certain piece of the pie and I just I just remove myself you know I I'm not greedy I am more about we can go way further mm-hmm. with all of us together and your culture really shines through your results your yeah. track record of what you've done you can tell that's been your culture for a long time and that's clearly how you operate now and something I've been looking at a lot lately is that bandwagon that it seems like a lot of companies are trying to now embrace I haven't always noticed that until more recently mm-hmm. is that they're so, trying to jump on the bandwagon of those who have been doing it. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? It's when being kind is trending and that stuff will irritate me, but that is why I know people choose my businesses over someone else's. I know that we've always been donating. I know mm-hmm. that I have always gone and gone to food banks and I have like served food not just now, I did right. it back then, or not just back then, sorry, I do it now. So it's, you know, would I wish I could devote my life to charity? Of course, but that's not the way the world works. Sure. I'm better serving, um, so how can I add those charity aspects while serving? 
And I know that helps my community. I had, um, mm -hmm. actually was on a podcast interview with JT literally two days ago, and we were talking about this, and we were saying, um, you know, I wake up in the morning because I know that there are children who get fed from their parents, and they depend on me. So, you know, because he was asking me, is, is there going to be a recession? What's going to come? And I said, listen, I don't worry, because if I start worrying, that's a ripple effect, right? right? We have plans in place. We have everything in place, and we're a big family, and, you know, I have to get up. There is no option. I go to bed at night knowing I do the right thing, and I go to bed knowing, at night knowing I give my clients the truth, right? There's always going to be times where I'm going to have to tell clients, have a harsh conversation or, or say something to them, but I know that I gave them the right advice, and I'm still there for them, right? So, mm -hmm. and I think that's where, you know, being a coach, being an entrepreneur, and then my businesses and my impact in my community, mm -hmm. like I always say, that comes down to the DNA of who the person is. And if, you know, we always say as business coaches, a lot of the times we have to be life coaches first and we have to kind of rip the person apart and we have mm -hmm. to say, okay, this is your DNA. Because sometimes people are just lost. You have people come to you after a really successful career and now they're, they're wanting to be an entrepreneur or, or they lost their job for whatever they, or they had kids and they weren't working and mm -hmm. now they want to get back into the workforce. There's so many different reasons as to why you're coaching someone and there is always something holding someone back. When you start off as an entrepreneur, a lot of times you have family and friends mm -hmm. looking at you as doing something different and a lot of times the pursuit of entrepreneurship is equivalent for some reason to just dollar signs and profit, which isn't true. Yeah, yeah. So how do you overcome adversity? How do you overcome? Did you overcome <laughs> adversity as a yeah. new entrepreneur? You may have had the support of your family because of their backgrounds. I didn't, actually. Yeah. Yeah, no, I had, um, so when I was 19, my whole family, I'm originally from the UK, so my whole family lives in the UK. Um, but my parents actually moved back to the UK. So it was just me. Um, my sister lived in the city I lived in. But I think for me, my back was against the wall. And I do say this, I always say emotion to money. I don't know if you ever heard me talk about that, but I always say people have emotion to money. And I think the reason I did it at the age in which I did it, because mm -hmm. I'll always decredit my, my um, kind of education or knowledge that I have, which I shouldn't. But I always say that the reason I did it when I was 19 was because I kept looking at it like there is no way this could, what, like, what's the worst thing that happens? I'm 19. My credit's already messed up because I screwed that up in university. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, well, that's gone. I don't need that. Um, well, I only have a couple thousand dollars in the bank. So if I lose that, I, it, it wasn't a gravity situation where I felt like the worst thing that could happen is I have to restart. Restart over, sure. Now, that got harder every net worth level, mm -hmm. right? So now, now I have to keep telling myself and remind myself of that person and take higher risks because you have a lot more on the line. Um, and with entrepreneurs, I think we have to keep resetting constantly at each level what our risk factor is. Um, and I always relate that back to children because I say like children jump on the couch and they jump and they jump and they jump and the mom or the dad is always like, watch your head. like don't fall, mm -hmm. this and that. And ch children just don't have fear. They don't understand the pot's hot, right? And they don't pay the medical bills, the dental yeah, bills. Yeah, and they, they just, they don't have a perception to it. Sure. So I always say like, you know, that was the entrepreneur of Katie at that age, but. 
I mean, I really didn't have anyone in my life, so let's just yeah. start there. So when I did build those companies, it's, it's not like I had tons of friends or anything. Um, I was modeling in high school and stuff, so I didn't really have solid relationships from high school. I just really was yeah. a loner. But you must have heard the message. Yeah. Of, oh, yes. Oh, you're all about and the money. Especially and especially when I started personally branding myself. Sure. Like, I would say 80% of the people in my life are now gone. Um, wow. Because... Because I am such that humble person that when I do have to kind of show up online, that's very hard for close people in my life to understand. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a little bit of a transition there. Sure. Um, but I would say as far as the adversity, it, like literally just going through the door, you just have to keep going just through the door going. and you just have to keep pushing because every single day something's going to happen. Speaking of this personal brand and whatnot, how does an owner set themselves up for success so that they can scale a company? without that personal brand being so reliant to the point they can't step out of their business. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a it's a tough one to explain to, you know, the hairstylist that's owned the business for fifty years. Family restaurant that's been around for sixty five years, right? It's very hard to ex it break that mold mm -hmm. um, because these are family businesses that have been around. But when it comes to exiting and it comes to wanting to sell your business, which nobody prepares for, which is what I really work with people on, is mm. from the beginning, we have to think about the exit. Like I know we, we've talked about a couple right. of those things. We just changed a few words. It was the simplest little thing. Um, whether it's the name of your business, um, not putting your, your name on it, or while you are the face in the beginning and you are building that company, making sure you're not branded as the face. Your brand is affecting your business. It's fueling your business but you can still then go and, and sell that off. So hmm. for me, my personal brand, you know, we, we have actually has come up like twice on podcasts recently where- the DNA. Yeah, it's the DNA, like my, my, my Instagram page, for example. I have never sold anything on that page ever. Mm -hmm. Do I sell on that page? Yes, but I've never put something in my stories to sell. So when I have a very strong personal brand that is now the engine fuel to all of my businesses. But when you go home to my businesses, my, my employees know, they know I own that business. Mm -hmm. Higher ups that we're dealing with companies, um, like when we're working with companies, know I own that business, but they don't deal with me on a daily basis. So it is very much, I, I always say, you know, we gotta make more Katie's and we gotta make more Morgan's. You've definitely heard me say that before. Um, but we need to create the engine, create the recipe, so I say we're making cookies. We got to get the first cookie perfect. So mm -hmm. if that's a first location, we got to get that perfect. If that's a first business, get that perfect. Work out all the tweaks, and it's gonna get complicated. But we got to make that system, mm -hmm. and then we go to two cookies, mm -hmm. and then we go to three, and then we go to four. And sometimes that's people within an organization. So sometimes that's replicating. You know, we have one. CEO that's kind of doing everything and then now we have a marketing department and now we have a accounting department right we have we start to pawn off all of these tasks so that each individual person can kind of strive in their strengths and then as someone who is a buyer coming in okay that works seamlessly those people love what they're doing those are their full-time jobs I'm mm -hmm. now coming in buying a zero headache perfect bow package that ecosystem that you've yeah mentioned well yeah, and I mean, for myself, I mean, I go to Florida six months of the year, so I'm, I'm, I'm away from my businesses. My businesses are completely functioning and growing. There is no problem um, with the teams that I have created. So I, I definitely focus on that for myself and my businesses, but I focus on that for my clients because I think a lot of them, 
they get tied to their business, they're working in their business, not on their business. Mm -hmm. And all of the things we talked about today, you know, it's hard to have your blinders off sure. when you're in the mud every day. And you're just, you got this one business that you're just in the mud of and you're not, it's okay to have that work ethic and to be building that engine, but you have to have the plan of, okay, at what point can I hire person number two? If you're starting from scratch, when do I hire number two? When do I hire number three? Mm -hmm. Or how do I take this business and now have two, now have three? Do I need to acquire a different business? Does that work in with my business? What makes me more powerful? Like working, working smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, it's a very, you know, mergers and acquisitions is, is a very fun topic. It's a very exciting topic. Um, but you have to do it very strategically. You have to make sure you're not, you're not blowing your personal brand to the point that, well, they only want to buy it because Kim Kardashian, perfect example, right? You go look at their makeup brands, Kylie Jenner's makeup brands, their mm -hmm. name is plastered to that. That can be sellable to, like they, they did sell off portions of their companies to high, high investors, mm -hmm. but they can't then go say, okay, Kim Kardashian, go sell that makeup brand to JLo. Mm. It's not going to work because sure. it's so branded with personal brands. So unless you're like a complete celebrity on that level and that magnitude, you can't mm -hmm. use your personal brand. So on the topic of scaling, would you recommend an owner personally work on that location? Are they going to leave that location once this one's operating? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it starts to get work? different in each industry. I can say okay. that when I did do um, a location base, let's say you do have a storefront of some sort, um, you start to train you know, the person that's working part-time to slowly get to full-time hours and you start to train that person, you bring the part-timer in and then you're probably at location two at that point. And then you're just kind of overseeing, right? And so for me with each location, that's what I was doing. And then when we got to six, now I'm like overseeing all these. Well, mm -hmm. I don't have time to go build six more and oversee these. So now I have a district manager that's overseeing these guys. So now it's constantly replicating Katie. Because don't forget, Katie was the girl behind the teller right. selling the product right. in store one, right? So I've gone from here, okay, replicate myself. Okay, I've gone from here and overseeing, great, replicate myself. Now I'm, now I'm overseeing all of this operation and I've replicated, 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 replicated. Now someone's got to do my job. Wow. So constantly, who, who's in the right? And sometimes it's a case of person that's working at store three would mm -hmm. be perfect for that district job. So he or she goes up to district and we just find another plug-in for them. Wow. But you constantly have to find people who can replace you and remove the emotion of nobody is ever gonna do it as well as me. No one would ever sell as great as me in those stores, but should I be sitting there doing a $10 an hour job or should I be out Moving the expanding? needle. Yeah. I actually asked you that question on Instagram because I knew that I was approaching new business ventures. Yeah. I wanted to know that answer, but I also wanted to know your coaching style. Yeah. And that was really important to me because that person in my corner is going to impact my confidence and my ability to execute or not execute. Yeah. And the way you answered that question, it was elaborating and factual, and, mm -hmm. which is a really selfless stance of a coach. There we have it. Katie K, self-made millionaire by age 23, ongoing serial entrepreneur and my business coach. We really appreciate you being no a part problem. of this. No problem, thanks for having looking me. Looking so forward to the rest. If you would like to know more about Katie K and executive business coaching, search Katie K Official on social media and reach out to her there at Katie K Official. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with someone you know, and leave us a great review. Thank you for listening and we look forward to having you again for the next interview with those who win at life and business.